Welcome to All Things with Jen Oshman, where we look at events and trends through a Christian lens. All things were created through Jesus and for Jesus, so we're seeking to apply His Word to what's happening here and now. Thanks so much for joining me on this first episode. This weekend, two national marches are taking place in Washington, D.C. One is the March for Life on Friday, and the other is the Women's March on Saturday. I'm personally interested in closely watching both, as I'm both pro-life and pro-woman. By pro-life, I mean I'm opposed to abortion and committed to a total pro-life ethic, from conception to natural death. I'm committed to elevating life at all stages and phases. And by pro-woman, I mean I love to see women excel and thrive wherever God has placed them and called them. It's good to be a girl, and whole communities thrive when girls thrive. And now I'm a mom of four girls, so strong womanhood means more to me than ever. I want to raise strong girls. I want to raise women who know who they are, who God has made them to be, how He has gifted them and equipped them and called them. And I want to raise women who walk in strength and confidence in their Creator and humble, joyful reliance on Him. So I'm drawn to these two marches. I've got my eye on the news. I've got my eye on their websites. I'm seeing what's happening um, for both of these marches on Friday and Saturday. In my mind, they're totally related. In my mind, one is the other. In my mind, if you're pro-life, you are pro-woman. And if you're pro-woman, you are pro-life. But here's what's interesting about these two marches and what you probably already know today. The March for Life would say it's pro-woman, but the Women's March would never claim that it's pro-life. And I'm actually struggling to see how the Women's March is actually for women at all. I have two primary problems with a Women's March, but before I get into those, let me just say here that I do know committed Christian women who are marching in the local Denver Women's March. I'm not stating with 100% finality that you cannot be um, a Christian and march in the Women's March, but I am saying that there are a couple major hangups for me, and I want to share them on this podcast today. I don't think the Women's March is ultimately good for women. The first reason is that the Women's March has blurred what it means to be a woman. This is perhaps best illustrated in the new way we're spelling women. And perhaps you're late to the party. Perhaps you don't know that there is a new politically correct way to spell women. And it's W-O-M-X-N. So some people are pronouncing that Wiminx. Others are pronouncing it Wimexin. Others are simply just spelling it that way and not quite, aren't quite sure how to pronounce it. I have to say, when I was researching this, I agree with one commenter who said, well, this is just going to make it harder to talk about women and women's issues, and I could not agree more. But the point is, the spelling is new because women is a form of the word man rather than being its own word in the first place. And the second is to denote inclusivity. So anyone who might identify as a woman but is not biologically a woman will feel included. Of course, there's backlash from those women because uh, women or people who identify as women and want to be accepted as women also want to be called women, not wiminks. Anyway, this illustrates my point beautifully. The Women's March is about so many different identities that it's no longer actually about women. And I'm not talking here about intersectionality. Intersectionality is worth our attention. Intersectionality examines the experience of people who fall within multiple marginalized populations. So for example, if you're a woman who is also an ethnic minority and part of the lower class, your experience will be different and harder than a woman who is a member of the majority culture. So there's merit in intersectionality. And we as Christians who are called to love the marginalized need to be aware of that. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is the Women's March 
and their call to harness the political power, this is their words, harness the political power of diverse women and their communities to create transformative social change. Does that sound broad to you? Well, that's because it is very broad indeed. So the movement, according to their unity principles on their website, which I will attach in the show notes, seeks to be so inclusive that the point, in my opinion, is blurred. So I'm just glancing right now at their unity principles page on their website and I didn't count, but the number of causes and populations listed is well into the dozens. Um, I'm just going to list off a couple that I see right off the top of my head, but they're marching for gender justice, racial, racial justice, economic justice, gun violence, incarceration rates, reproductive freedom, comprehensive health care, unions and labor associations, domestic and farm workers, freedom to worship, freedom of speech, tribal laws, clean water, clean air, ending war and wrenching power from the hands of the wealthy elite, um, among others. Those are just a few that pop out as I go down the list. So some of these causes, some that I just mentioned, and others are absolutely legitimate. Some of them are causes I would be willing to march for. However, there's so many listed, we don't even know what this march is for. We don't even know what it's about anymore. Frankly, identifying it as a women's march is now a misnomer. This is not a women's march. It's everybody's march. And this really is an affront to classical feminism. The identity of women, of womanhood, has been stripped of its meaning and its value and its worth, and it's been usurped. It's been sidelined. Further, from an organizational standpoint or a mission standpoint, this is a mess. From a feminist standpoint, women have been left behind. So my first problem is that womanhood in the Women's March has been blurred. My second problem with the Women's March is their ardent commitment to abortion. So today's ideological feminists say you cannot be pro-woman and pro-life. A line was drawn in the sand in 1973 when Roe v. Wade made abortion legal across the United States. So to be culturally pro-woman means you must be pro-choice or in favor of abortion rights for everyone, everywhere with zero restrictions. Here's how the March's guiding principles say it. Um, This is also from that Unity Principles page. Their words, we believe in reproductive freedom. We do not accept any federal, state, or local rollbacks, cuts, or restrictions on our ability to access quality reproductive health care services, birth control, HIV, AIDS, care and prevention, or medically accurate sexuality education. This means open access to safe, legal, affordable abortion and birth control for all people, regardless of income, location, or education. We understand that we can only have reproductive justice when reproductive health care is accessible to all people, regardless of income, location, or education. So in other words, the March wants to see government-funded abortions provided to all women who desire them all the time, no matter what. And this is what really dismays me about feminism. Somewhere along the way in the feminist journey in the United States, it was just determined that to be a strong woman was to be like a man. It's to enjoy the sexual revolution and all its advances without the consequences of actually becoming pregnant. To be a free and modern woman is to have sex without having babies. Somehow, strong womanhood became equated with being man-like. But the first wave feminists, like Susan B. Anthony, knew that abortion is violence first and foremost against women. Free sex without consequences hurts the woman above all. Abortion is really violence inflicted upon women by men who aren't willing to take responsibility for their actions. And somehow, 
Yesterday's women and today's women have bought that lie. Somehow we've said, yes, it's better to be like a man. It's better to have sex and not have consequences. Or at least we've bought the lie that it's okay, maybe not preferred. We'd prefer men to step up, but if they don't, we can do away with a problem and endure tremendous emotional, spiritual, and physical ramifications on our own. The reality is abortion is not empowering. Abortion is brutality, most obviously to the baby, but also to her mother. What's empowering is coming alongside a woman who's facing a crisis pregnancy and joining her in the fight of her life and the fight for her baby's life. What's empowering is getting her health care, getting her material and medical support, helping her to find a fair paying job with maternity leave, helping her to find an income and a job that will provide her with dignity and pride. What's empowering is alleviating the threats of violence in her neighborhood. Women's empowerment says, yes, you can. Yes, with the help of our community, you can do this. Imagine what kind of power women could harness if we diverted the energy our society puts into reproductive rights, as they're euphemistically called, and put them into really valuing women, valuing women's bodies, valuing what women's bodies can do. And don't tell me that it's not possible. The abortion industry is worth a ton of money. According to a report last year, 2018, abortion providers spent more than $1.6 billion in U.S. tax money over a three-year period. And that's just tax money that was spent on abortion, $1.6 billion over three years. That's not insurance money. That's not private money. That's American tax money. So I'm talking about diverting millions of dollars away from death and channeling it towards life. True liberation and true empowerment for women would mean using that money instead to build structures and supports so that all lives can thrive. It would mean valuing committed relationships so that the father is present in the mother's life and the baby's life. It would mean equipping the new family to keep that baby and to help him or her thrive. It's heartbreaking to me that the feminist movement didn't take this direction back in the 60s and 70s and that now, here we are a couple generations later in 2019, still marching for the victimization of women under the guise of reproductive rights for women. Back when the Women's March started two years ago in 2017, event organizers made the mistake of initially allowing a few pro-life organizations to partner with them. So these pro-life organizations, for example, the New Wave Feminists, signed up to be present at the march as one of their inaugurating partners. They knew they were different, but these women wanted to cross the bridge from feminists for life over to feminists who are in favor of abortion rights. But there was a huge public outcry, a temper tantrum, if you will, of march organizers and supporters insisting on the uniformity of pro-abortion feminists. So the pro-life organizations were publicly disinvited from the march. So the first year of the march, pro-life feminists were unequivocally unwelcome. Now, here we are in the third year, March organizers have backed down from that this year, and they are welcoming, at least in word, pro-life organizations. And I respect the pro-lifers who are, who are going to the March, who are seeking to cross that bridge. It's, it's not what I would choose to do. I could not in good conscience participate in this March, but I do respect them for making that decision, and I really do hope they change some minds as they march together this weekend. I spoke about intersectionality earlier, and I want to speak about it now again, just briefly, as it pertains to abortion. According to the CDC, black women have an abortion rate of 25.1 abortions per 1,000, while white women have 6.8. That's almost four times the amount of abortions. In New York City, 
Hundreds more black babies died from abortion than were born alive. Did you catch that? More are aborted than are born. That was in 2016, but prior to that, that number was in the thousands, thousand more killed than were born. In Los Angeles, there's nine Planned Parenthood centers operating within a one mile radius of a predominantly poor Hispanic neighborhood. That's intersectionality. These marginalized populations, these women who are at the intersection of gender and ethnicity have been convinced that it's better to kill their babies than to birth them. In my opinion, this is the ultimate exploitation and violence towards women. Rather than telling them, yes, you can, Planned Parenthood and society at large says, no, you can't. This is not pro-woman. To be pro-woman is to be pro-life. So in sum, the reason I can't march this weekend at the Women's March in Denver or elsewhere is, first of all, it seems to me that women have been lost in the so-called Women's March. Gender has been blurred and overtaken by other marginalized populations. And secondly, the march promotes the ultimate violence against women in the form of abortion. So my plea to you you women who are listening and the women around me and the women in my community is let's not lose our gender. To be a woman is a gift. Let's reprioritize it and let's elevate womanhood. One way we can do that is to be equipping and encouraging women who are in unplanned pregnancies. Rather than affirming abortion or sitting idly by, not speaking as the abortion machine churns on, As women, let's engage other women. Let's elevate them and encourage their protection and thriving as we push back against abortion and push forward towards communities and families and neighborhoods and nations prizing women and children. So go, do the research in your own city. Find out where your pregnancy resource centers are. Find out how you can lock arms with women who need your help. Get in the game and say, yes, you can. This show is called All Things, hearkening back to my favorite verse in Colossians chapter 1. Verse 16 says, all things were created through him and for him. So my goal on this podcast is to look at anything, to look at all things and ask, how were they created by him and for him? What is their purpose? How can we apply biblical truth to all things? Let's ask ourselves, what does the Bible say about women? We've looked at what society says about women. We've looked at what the Women's March says about women. So I want to leave you with this biblical truth. God created women to be unique and different from men. Adam was lacking something before Eve. God didn't bring forth another Adam. He brought forth Eve. She's different. She has a different body, different views, different skills. The Hebrew word the Bible uses for her is ezer. Ezer means strong and powerful, a helpful support. In fact, ezer is used many, many times in the Old Testament to describe God himself. God's intention is that we women would be strong, capable, powerful. He intended that we be unique, offer something special to the world. His will is not that we would seek to be like men. You and I, friend, were fearfully and wonderfully made. Let's walk in that truth. That's God's truth. That's our creator's truth. Thanks for joining me today on the first ever episode of All Things with Jen Oshman, where we look at events and trends through a Christian lens. All things were created through Jesus and for Jesus, so we're seeking to apply His Word to what's happening here and now. Since this is a brand new podcast, I would really appreciate you sharing it with your friends, perhaps leaving a comment, leaving a rating, sharing it wherever you get podcasts. Thanks so much.